I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Book 17, Marianne's Bad Luck Mystery. Ooh, what a mystery, guys. Um, so <laughs> let's let's get into our one-sentence summaries. Mine is Book 17, Marianne's Bad Luck Mystery. Oh. <laughs> is that that's it? That's your one-sentence <laughs> That's my summary. summary. <laughs> Okay. Uh, mine is co- <laughs> It's Anne's really phoning it in today, you guys. Uh, mine is Cokie Mason arrives on the scene to teach us that boys are worth fighting over. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, mine is stupid chain letter kicks off mystery in quotations. <laughs> Wait, is that it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I don't like the mystery books, I realized. I used to love them as a kid, but like the fandom phone caller one, I'm like, I don't know. It's just, it's not, there's nothing mysterious happening. <laughs> I mean, wait, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Annie Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSA-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. And speaking of those ratings and reviews, I would like to thank everyone out there who has left us a rating or review. Yeah, not Emily's not, friends. Not Emily's friends. <laughs> yes. We have we Anne and I representing Generation X have learned that apparently it's just it's not cool to leave reviews for your friends' passion projects. And so Emily has this like posse of of women that she's friends with from college. Shout out to all the girls. No shout out. None of <laughs> they don't get one. <laughs> I mean, shout out in general. I really like them individually. They're lovely people, except for some reason they don't write podcast reviews. Look, so. here's the thing. It's not that they're too cool. It's that we're all incredibly lazy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Like to move your thumb seven times or whatever to just click the five star thing and write like love it. That's, mm-hmm. That takes a lot of work. Yeah. And also wild procrastinators. Yeah. <sighs> Well, luckily, there are some strangers out there who like us. Yeah, thank Um, you, strangers. So, you know, so for instance, this review, um, title, The Period, Best Period, Ever Period. Aw, that's very nice. Isn't that nice? nice? Yeah. That is nice. Okay. This says, love the deep dive discussions of the best book series of the 80s and 90s. Anne, Emily, and Esme have such a great report. It's like a great gap session with your best friends. Listen once and you'll be hooked. Awesome. Thank you so much. I feel like that we're maybe not leaving in parts of the podcast where we are really so mean to Esme. (laughs) Thank you. Pretty soon we're going to start getting those reviews, by the way. (laughs) Five stars. Love the Esme abuse. (laughs) It's not what I meant. 
but that's fine. <laughs> also, you know, I just I also want to say thanks to anyone who's giving us some constructive criticism out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do appreciate it. It does help us make a better podcast. Um, this this review says title great content, poor production. So it says this podcast is my dream come true. Educated women seriously discussing business savvy women that provided all of my childhood entertainment. I was the biggest BSC fan, but grew up enjoying the books on my own. This makes me wonder how great it would have been to have friends that were into the series too. I would love to give this five stars dot, 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 but the production, the breathy laughing, transitional mouth noises and Anne sounding like she is broadcasting from a hole make this this podcast painful to listen to. Every week I come here hoping it is improved. So far, I have been disappointed. Oh, that is from a few weeks ago now, though, right? So maybe it has. I'm hoping it has improved since then. Yes. But, you know. Look, I'm not a professional editor, so. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like I have a PhD in reading books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's fair. I, I feel like we're not trying to hide it. Like in eight seconds into the um, intro, it's it's very clear that we're a writer and a, and a scholar and an expert on teens. Yeah, um, none of us is an audio engineer. No. And I did a lot of years of college radio, but it was all on like state-of-the-art equipment in like audio recording rooms, right? Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, it was it was not my my closet. Um, which is where I'm currently sitting, surrounded yeah. by work clothes that I don't use anymore because I don't leave the home. It's Esme is literally in the closet now, people. <laughs> well, I have two children. That's the only way I, I could possibly have remotely good audio. And I'm actually in a hole. Yeah. So don't you feel bad? <laughs> Anne literally lives in a hole. And yeah. I didn't think you needed to call her out like that, reviewer. <laughs> I mean, it's like I keep it neat and tidy and clean, but it is a hole. It's hard. I mean, I barely have electricity down here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We are trying though with the audio. I think, I think we've been improving. Yes. Um, And every two weeks I get a mysterious package in the mail. I don't know what it is. I asked my husband, did you order something? And then I open it and it's like a different piece of like audio equipment. So Esme sends me sends me these packages. I've got in like a I call it a mic condom. I don't know what it's really called. It's a pop. It's a pop filter. It's pop filter. No, mic no, condom. it's called a mic condom. <laughs> and then the other day I get a, a boom, but it's just not any boom. It's a euro boom. Just and make sure while you're talking about the equipment, you don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, I am not touching it. But I'm waiting for my next you know, gadgetry to come into the mail. I sent you is. all that. I sent you all that audio acoustic foam too. To <laughs> you did, which is also <laughs> scattered all over my desk right now. <laughs> Sorry, not my desk, my this whole. Is all, this is all just to say we're working on it, listeners. So um, I hope that the the audio is improving if you, if you note it. Um, and we're, we're, we're trying our best, but thank you for the shout outs on the content. Yes. Keep them coming, but only yeah. the good one. Only the good well, reviews, please. You know, put the good reviews on Apple Podcasts and send us the constructive stuff in an email so we can do something about it so you don't oh turn gosh. somebody else off. This desperation again. I can't with it. <laughs> yeah, Emily. Actually, Emily doesn't care what any of you say. <laughs> so 
so. Because she's an individual. She's an individual. She doesn't. You know, it's so hard for me to do my introduction without laughing. I can't, like, I don't think I've ever once said, and I like health food without cracking up on the inside. Uh, it's usually on the outside also. <laughs> Great. Well, glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> all right, Em, what jumped out of you in this week's uh, book, Bookaroo? Aside from a non-mysterious mystery? Yeah, that well. was a snooze fest. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, I I, I thought this one was better than um, Ghost at Dawn's House or Phantom Phone Calls. But it's ruined in the middle. Like you, Cokie Mason mm-hmm. says, bad luck charm. And you're like, oh, well, obviously she sent it to Marianne. And then the rest of the book, the girls are just like catching up to that knowledge right. that you already have. It's like, oh, duh. Um, I did forget that like Logan plays a role at the end, though. And I, I was also confused when he first emerges. And I'm like, wait, was Logan part of it? Because mm-hmm. we already talked about how Logan is sort of gaslighting Marianne. And he does it again in this book, too, which I thought was there's that passage where he's like, I mean, until somebody else that I like better than Marianne comes along, I'm going to like Marianne for now. I'm like, you're fucking asshole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the one thing that did jump out at me that we haven't yet talked about, but we've teased a bit. I know we talked about it, um, I think, in our prologue episode, and we've referred to the tomboy trope and Christie's association with it and promised to sort of parse out um, some stuff around it, but we've yet to do that. So I thought today I might talk a little bit about the kind of history of the tomboy because it's the first, I think it's the first time at least that I've noticed that Christie's explicitly referred to as a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of in keeping with the general judgmentalness we've been we've noted about Marianne through the course of the series so far. So I don't really have much to say about its appearance in this book. It's not like a central part of the plot. It's just one of the things that Marianne sort of offhandedly says about Christy in her general, you know, her opening uh, chapter where she's describing all of the girls. But I did think it was interesting to place, like, to think about how it would have been used or what it would have referred to in the context of the 80s as as compared Mm. to now. And there's been a lot of um, recent kind of scholarship and um, sort of, you know, journalism writing about how it has really racist origins, actually. Interesting. Yeah, that it like emerged in um, or that like was transformed in the sort of cultural zeitgeist around the sort of Pre, it was like a precursor to the eugenics movement where around the like cult of true womanhood and this idea um, about sort of preserving the white race and these things kind mm. of co-emerged around the same time as like the abolition movement, for example. And like originally the tomboy, or not originally, but in this moment, in this historical moment, the tomboy becomes a kind of like way to encourage women to do a little bit more, right? To not be completely docile and, um, you know, immobile creatures because their that fragility was not good for breeding essentially and so this like push Mm. to kind of like get women to go outside and sort of like do boyish things was seen was kind of part of the like project to encourage white birth and um like facilitate white babies and so um it has yeah and then and then it's sort of in the you know late 20th century becomes a kind of the the cultural association is that like transgressing gender norms of behavior is somehow linked to your sexual orientation and so it gets kind of attached to the figure of the lesbian um and i think like 
that's that's still happening in the 80s, right? And like now there's a lot of discourse around how it's a kind of because of that sort of presumption, right? That like somehow you're um like the way that you play with gender norms or the way that you deploy gender norms is some sort of window into your sexuality, that that logic is being disrupted and people are sort of, you know, there's calls to kind of dispense with the term altogether or to sort of, you know, reclaim it as uh, or like as a spirit of children who act in a certain way and not attach it to kind of right. gender at all. But I think, um, you know, I don't think that 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 those conversations were being had in, in the eighties, I think it's sort of taken for granted that it's just like a girl who likes boy things. And so, um, it, and I think Anna Martin's probably using it in this sort of presumptively benign way or, or like, yeah, from her perspective, but it ha it taps into like a br much broader kind of, um, history of, the, of troping, um, a, a particular kind of femininity or a particular version of femininity and sort of protecting it at the same time as, um, you're heralding dimensions of transgressing it. It's kind of an interesting. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. And I feel like you and I can play a little game right now, which is um, name famous pop culture tomboys of the 1980s. And we can just alternate. Um, I'm at the first person that comes to mind for me is Joe on Facts of Life. Yes, that's a pretty obvious one. Yeah. Huh. Well, I feel like a lot of times in, in sitcoms of the 80s, the, the girls started out as tomboys mm -hmm. and then blossomed into someone that was more, like, feminine, right? Right, like, like Jennifer on Family Ties. Yeah, or, um, like, Alyssa Milano on Who's the Boss? Oh, yeah, Sam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But someone one. who was just, like, tomboyish. I mean, I guess Joe was. Well, and I think, you know, Punky Brewster – my my childhood hero mm -hmm. um I, I think but is she a tomboy um, that's a good question she's i think she's just more like like quirky and plucky. creative plucky yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, she hated dresses though and she hated her real name penelope because it was too fancy mm -hmm. so there was some there was some like active rejection of like the proper feminine mm -hmm. right I mean, I definitely identified as a tomboy, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. I was really good at sports. I could beat the boys in elementary school at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you hit puberty and then suddenly you're like, oh, God, like this isn't a good thing anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So then you try to cover it up a little bit. Yeah, it's inter that's interesting, too, because it taps into some of the other stuff we've talked about, how like puberty is this moment where you've become really socialized into your gender. And so it like, it's the thing that changes the kind of gender neutrality of childhood or that it's like that moment of, mm -hmm. um, of sort of like leaving that all behind. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So I don't know. Uh, it, I thought some of that re recent stuff kind of recovering that, um, you know, pre-eugenics race, breeding stuff and the term was really interesting and probably a good case for dispensing with it <laughs> yeah it's such a bummer because I do think I do think it was um you know while of course there was this blossoming 
um, narrative that Anne talks about. Um, I do think that it was also just generally like a good thing in the 80s, given that the 80s was so image conscious and so and like the appropriate looks for people were really makeup heavy and, you know, very overtly feminine in a lot of ways. Like I think I found a lot of respite in 80s tomboy representation, um, even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a good tomboy because I was not good at sports. So <laughs> I was just not a girly girl. Right. Um, but I think it it um, provided a lot of models that, in fact, there was some, you know, a, a really great writing in psychology in the you know late 90s and early 2000s about how the 80s and 90s provided a lot of different models of femininity or lack of femininity um, for being, you know, if you you keep going forward through the 90s for different types of women that were in the media, like, you know, I don't know why Joan Osborne popped into my head, but <laughs> Ani DeFranco and a bunch of other women who were very famous who were, didn't look a certain way. And we get into the 2000s and that gets erased. It's like the time for Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And there's like one way to be an appropriate girl. And um, Steve Hinshaw, one of my mentors, wrote this great book um, in the early 2000s called The Triple Bind that was about how girls had to be a particular kind of hot and really competitive like the boys and also really, really nice and mm -hmm. kind to everybody and how trying to do all three of those things is impossible. And so it results in like a, a crisis of self-confidence and you, you kind of fall apart under that pressure. And mm -hmm. I think that um, while obviously there's lots of problems with gender in the 80s, I think that tomboy trope in media gave another alternative mm -hmm. for that, like looking super, super hot and being successful. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just another option for girls. Yeah. And I think Marianne... Um you know, in this book clearly admires that Chrissy doesn't care. Right. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that maybe you could say something about too, is like how Marianne's constantly comparing that to her own sense of self. Right. She's like, I'm not like that. I don't have that. I, I get so obsessed with like how I'm viewed and Christy doesn't. And I think like, that's cool. And I think like the tomboy trope is one of the things, but it's like, it's, it gets kind of muddled, though, too, because on the one hand, she admires Christy, but the tomboy thing is the thing that makes her not care, right? Like, it's so it's this, um, like, she doesn't care that she's not supposed to act like a boy, mm -hmm. um, which is still a little bit relying on that or the that like gender binary and it, it like taking for granted its existence. Um, right. But then, but then Marianne's just like, ah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because Marianne chooses, you know, her two best friends are people that don't care what other people think, but for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. Because she has the same kind of comparisons to Dawn and Dawn being an individual and Dawn, you know, choosing um, to, you know, not that she doesn't care about how she dresses, but that she doesn't care what other people, you know, she cares. She's putting together outfits carefully, but it's for her own amusement, not for some standard or to look the right way. Um, and so this idea of Christy having the freedom of her great ideas and her tomboyness and Dawn having the freedom of her individuality. Um, mm -hmm. that, I don't know what uh, that means. <laughs> I don't either, really. <laughs> No one does. <laughs> That's why it's so good. Also, Marianne um, calls yeah. Dawn pretty good looking in this book. Yeah, she's revising it. She's, she's revising her. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but did you have any thoughts on kind of what's going, what's up with her there? Because I know last time we talked about the difference between like shyness and social anxiety. And I think that what 
her like you know self-doubt yeah yeah self-doubt right it's like a different it's a different kind of like shame spiral than the one she got in at the last time (laughs) yeah yeah I did notice that throughout this book there's lots of times where she says you know but I I wasn't sure I'm always not sure of myself or I think it's you know even in the beginning when Koki and um Grace are getting introduced um they're like talking and Marianne says something like I always think it's about me you know, um, when people are whispering and talking. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was really, um, lightly and nicely portrayed. I still think it falls under normative development, just like I think she's shy and not socially anxious. I think, you know, 13 is a time when most people have self-doubts like that is super, super normative. And most people assume there's this phenomenon of the imaginary audience, that teenagers particularly think everybody's looking at them and everybody's judging them when, you know, by the time you're our age, you know that like, oh, people don't actually care about you, which is a different kind of sad, right? Especially <laughs> <not>. teenagers. Right. <laughs> like Esme's the literal only person who cares about teenagers. No, nobody cares about teenagers, I'm saying. <laughs> oh, no, they're great. But, um, <laughs> but no, but, you know, we... You know, when you're 13 and you walk into a room and people stop talking, it's like, oh, God, they were talking about me. And I don't know about you guys. I just assume most people don't give a shit about me. Um, And that's that's accurate. Again, different kind of sad, but not um, not the the kind that comes from this anxiety of worrying what other people are thinking. And so I think Anna Martin portrays it very accurately. Um, And the other thing that's accurate about it is that Marianne blames herself for it a lot. And she's kind of like, yeah, well, I can never be like that. I'm not self-assured. I And this is the thing. This is the lonely thing about being a teenager is you think that you're the only one that's having these thoughts, right? You think that you're the only one that's worried about what everybody else is thinking and that thinks that other people are paying more attention to you when the vast majority of teenagers do think that way. Um, and, and Dawn and Christy are kind of unique, and I think that's why – Marianne's attracted to them and why they're such compelling characters and why Christy is the president. Um, And of course, she still has self-doubt. And we see that when she narrates the book. Um, But I think that was the nice twist is sort of it's very normative that she's having it. And it's also very normative that she thinks she's the only one that's having it. Deep, deep in thought, Emily and Anne, about that. Well, I was just thinking again about how about that Logan passage I brought up earlier. (laughs) And wondering, like, I don't know, because because we talked about this too uh, last time when we did a Marianne and Logan discussion. Like, is Logan an an actual teenage boy? Yeah. <laughs> then I was thinking about the juxtaposition of like we Marianne narrating her self doubt, and then him at the end being like, "Well, yes, but I mean, like, mm. <laughs> okay, Marianne's I- the best for now." Like, <laughs> so I didn't read that passage the way you guys read it. <laughs> so. Let's let's go to the let's go to the text. Um, it's page one twenty nine, and Grace admits that basically. So Grace is Koki Mason's best friend, and she has a big crush on Logan. And they made this big plan to like ambush the Babysitters Club in the cemetery at midnight on Halloween, and they invite Logan to embarrass Marianne so that he'll see that she's lame, and then want to date Grace. It's not a very well conceived plot um but you know they're 13 and so they want they want logan to quote get fed up with marianne yeah yeah Uh, and And do you want to read it in his southern accent yes (laughs) spelled out for you right there it says fed up 
<laughs> okay. Excellent. So then Grace kicked at a stone with the toe of her sneaker. You spend most of your time with Marianne and the girls in the babysitter's club. There are other girls at Stony Brook Middle School, you know. Go ahead. Be Logan Ann. Well, this one, this passage passage is not phonetically spelled out, so. It's okay. okay. You can read it in your California okay. accent. <laughs> of course I know, replied Logan. I'm not blind. And when I see anyone I like as much as Marianne and her friends, maybe I'll do something. But right now, Marianne is, is my dot, dot, dot. Now Logan and I were blushing. I think he wanted to say girlfriend. Plus, I like babysitting. <laughs> he does. He does like babysitting. Um, so I don't know. I, I, you guys read some sinister stuff into that that I didn't notice. So what are you? What are you? Maybe I'll there? do something. That sounds like a threat to me. Yeah. What else is that? No, it's like a. This is just the best that there there is. But like, I'm gonna keep my options open. You know, like once something else better comes along, then I'm gonna do something about it. Okay, Esme, what else is, what is something? What is do something? I I think it's him being on the spot in a cemetery at midnight, surrounded with like 10 crazy girls, him not knowing what's going on, and him being like, uh, no, I like Marianne, and trying to respond to what Grace is Esme's a Logan apologist. I know, God. <laughs> <laughs> You're assuming like a lot of intent and like deep thought on the part of Logan, and I just don't think it's there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I don't trust his confidence. <laughs> All right. I have a few other little things that popped up in the books, um, psychology wise. Um, one is just I liked, I think Anna Martin has shown this before, maybe it will come up more, but um, I really liked the babysitting chapter where Jamie's afraid of Halloween. And Jesse's babysitting for him and she takes him to her house and they read a storybook about Georgie the shy ghost and it makes him feel better. And then he wants to be Georgie for Halloween. It was just a really nice little thing about how stories and books help children understand things about the world. Um, And it was just like a cute chapter that I thought was well. It's just like how the Babysitter's Club helped us understand Connecticut. (laughs) I was going to ask whether Anne skipped that chapter. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What did you guys think of all the superstition stuff in this book? I'm not very superstitious, so I thought it was dumb. Oh, your your grandmother who listens to this podcast the moment it comes out every week is really upset right now. (laughs) Well, I think that... Oh, no, I was just thinking about, like, those chain mail letters and how they were a thing when you're like around that age. So I think mm-hmm. that was pretty spot on of Anna Martin to use that mm-hmm. as a device, as a plot device. Um, but I don't think that I ever actually wrote any of those. I think I definitely got them. Oh, you got them from me and you broke the chain and I didn't get my postcards. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I should refine. I should say that like, I'm much more likely to find amusement and or comfort in the prospect that like the alignment of the planets has something to do with my mood than like if I don't mail this bad luck's gonna come to my family yeah like I think there's a scale of superstition and like the I tend toward things that help us make sense of stuff that are otherwise hard to explain modes of superstition or of like thinking about the world and kind of broader strokes mm-hmm. than warding bad, luck. bad things off yeah, yeah yeah like i step on cracks i'll walk under a ladder i like black cats <laughs> yeah i think 
I think it's interesting. I um, Do you remember, Anne, in high school, we used to do that thing. If you ran a yellow light, you would kiss your fist and hit the roof of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, our, our friend, uh, Lauren Cusick, that we grew up with, set, you know, used to do it. And she was super, like, skeptical and factual about things. And I was like, oh, I'm surprised that you do that. She's like, I like anything that makes my day-to-day life more whimsical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I still remember that. And that's how I often think about them. So like some of the, I do think I tend toward the positive, but I also still don't put hats on beds because, you know, uh, my mother, your grandmother used to scream at me as a child for doing it because it brings bad luck into the house. Um, and <laughs> so I just still don't do it. Emily but... has like an emoji face, the raised <laughs> eyebrow emoji right now. Um, <laughs> Grandma Lexi never told me that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. I never, um, I never heard the one that Jesse mentions that's saying rabbit, rabbit on the first day of the month. Had you guys ever heard of that one before? I've heard of that. Yeah. You have? It's apparently yeah. a New England thing. I, huh. I w- looked around. So it's just like brings you good luck. Um, and that's been around since the early 1900s. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different superstitions mentioned in the book. And so I went down a little bit of a uh, rabbit hole. It's this is more the area of of folklore, folkloristics than um, psychology. So like collecting child, things that children pass down, and and you know superstitions and like jump rope rhymes and games like snail. That's all. It's a whole field in social psychology called uh, not social psychology and social. Um, studies called folkloristics. That's really interesting. But I, I, you know, looked into the to see if there was psychology research. Most of what I found that is recent at all is about the role of superstition in obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, um, interesting. So it, you know, it it shows up a lot in um, different subtypes of OCD. Also shows up a lot in collegiate and professional athletes. And so I found a study from 2016 looking at the overlap and how many actually may meet criteria for clinical significance of OCD, given the superstition that they do for the, the, the rituals they do for their games. Mm-hmm. Um, but any kind of descriptive studies just looking at superstition um, basically don't exist. And I think you can see why, because like, who cares, right? It's just kind of a fun, interesting thing. It's probably not related to much. But I did find two studies from the 1930s that looked at superstition in teens and children and basically concluded that it makes you stupid and maladjusted. <laughs> so I thought it was really funny. There was one study by Kirst from 1939 that concluded, and this is a quote, superstitiousness is characteristic of that vicious circle, which includes an unfavorable socioeconomic status, inadequate mental development, lack of social adjustment, and insufficient personality adjustment. Again, this was 1939, so that study was just totally bogus and had no ethical requirements. But I thought it was really funny, and, and it popped up because there were so few things, so so little scholarly study of superstition in psychology. Well, that's really interesting to me, though, because like you can imagine in the 1930s, right, that and probably prior that like the emergent kind of paradigm of sort of reason and rationality as mm-hmm. like a heuristic for a good citizen and the way that that gets coded kind of racially and on along class lines that like, of course, yeah. you're a bad person if you're superstitious because it, you're subscribing to a different like knowledge regime than the the like formal one that is responsible for ruling us, right? Like yeah. <laughs> one of the ruling class. That's, that's funny. I, mean, I knew that this- Unsurprising. I knew- I knew that this sentence from this study was going to be Emily Candy. Um, here, I've got I've got one more. This was all on seventh grade children. They gave um, a list of 50 prevalent superstitious ideas, a battery of tests for the measurement of emotional adjustment, 
and a test of irrational associations to a little over 300 seventh graders in and around New York. Um, this was in 1935. And the... Um, it was all very reliable, and it was found that scores in superstitious belief correlated positively with those in emotional maladjustment and with scores in irrational associations. The number of fears and worries bears a positive relationship to both superstition and emotional maladjustment. Sorry, that was Mailer and Lundy in 1934. That also makes me think of, like, hysteria and witch hunts and things. Yeah. That, like, anything coded feminine is, like, <laughs> right, irrational <laughs> and crazy. Oh, right. wow. What a yeah. what a fun time for psychology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of my field is is utter horrific garbage. Um, but that's OK. Yeah. So I thought that you would like that. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> the only other thing that came up to me, and this definitely puts me in the corner of Logan apologist, which, you know, for the record, go back to listen to Logan Likes Marianne. I was not a Logan apologist and I'm not in general, but we start to see more sort of the um, the guff he gets from the other boys for being friends with the Babysitter's Club and for spending time with them and how he's, like, breaking the rules of masculinity. Um, and this is, you know, this is something a lot of scholars have written a lot about, about how, like, how limiting it is to be a boy, basically, and how boys are not socialized to be caring or to be able to talk about their emotions or um, those kinds of things. This is not to say that they aren't still in charge of the world um, because they are, but that for an individual, you know, child, a, a young teen like Logan, um, it can be pretty stifling. And so I think we got some some hints of that in this book, and I'll be interested to see how that how that plays out going mm -hmm. forward. I didn't know if you guys noticed that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think Marianne makes a couple comments too, right? When he's like, ah, when he changes tables, and she's like, ah, he's had enough of girl time, like time to time to stretch his legs and get in touch with his masculine side or I don't fucking know mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, no wonder the world's so fucked up, huh? <laughs> All the people in positions of power never learned how to care about anyone. Exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. There's this one line Logan says towards the end, which I feel like if he was a host of this podcast would be his like little summary. He says, mm -hmm. I'm curious and I like a little adventure. <laughs> and I was like, huh. I was like, okay, that tells me actually a lot about Logan. Yeah. Right. That's that's his explanation for why he showed up at the, the graveyard at midnight exactly. on his own when he was called there by Koki and Grace. <laughs> that's fantastic. What it, save us, save us, Anne, from superstition and oh although oh, I'll just say you mentioned witchcraft again, Emily, and there was a line in the book where they're in the library, a la Hermione, researching spells and stuff to ward off the bad luck. And um I I think Marianne says something about, you know, someone wisely backed away from six girls doing research on witchcraft. And I just felt that was like a lovely Anna Martin, like, you know, putting them all together, one for all kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Well, do you guys think that we've had a lot of bad luck this year? So maybe it's just because, you know, a lot of people forgot to do this like chain mail thing and perhaps. Do you think like the global pandemic and the crumbling of democracy are a result of like decades of people not forwarding chain letters? Who knows? Just saying. <laughs> I'm just I'm just reframing the question. Like, is that right. what you're asking? <laughs> yeah. Making sure we understand, making sure we understand your premise. Yes. This is yeah. what I am interpreting. Um, 
My my answer is no. <laughs> I don't think that. Okay, then I don't have to feel guilty, Emily. You're so negative. Although, if you want to talk planets, let's let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> we should one day, as we should have our mom do all the babysitters charts. Oh, she would be totally fun. do that. Yeah. All right, Grandma Lexi. Let's. You know, I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But we'll have to make up their day of birth, their time of birth. That's the issue. Because um, mm-hmm. you need to know that. I think we time. know Marianne if she was born in the morning or evening, though, because I think she asked Mimi in a book. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. So, are you, are you done, Esme? I'm done. You're done. So, <laughs> I, so this book takes place in and around Halloween. So, there's a lot of a lot of candy talk in the background. And what I thought was interesting is first, this is my challenge for Esme that I mentioned before. Okay. Can you sing the Almond Joy Mounds jingle? Yeah. Okay, do it. Are we going to have to pay for it? No, we're small times. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Almond Joy's got nuts. Mounds don't because sometimes you feel like I, sometimes you. Very good. Uh, thank you. See, what? Emily, did you- <laughs> I've never in my life heard that. Not once. It was a very big commercial in the 80s, differentiating the difference between Mounds and Alma Joy, which are the same candy bar, but sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Great. I mean, it was... (laughs) Everyone knows that jingle if you're old enough. Like, Micah could easily also sing it. Um, And he's... Well, he's Matt's age, but... Yeah. So it made me think that... So Marianne's dad is giving out... Almond Joy at their house. Yeah. Not a popular child candy. No, it's like... Those all went straight to my dad. Exactly. It's like shredded coconut with whole nuts in dark chocolate. Ooh, that sounds good. Right. But not to like an eight-year-old. Yeah, fine. No one wants that in their their trick-or-treat bag, right? Mm -mm. So, but I think it was... I don't know if Anna Martin did it on purpose, but I feel like it was very reflective of Richard Spear. Oh, it's a Richard signifier? Yeah. Yes. Because it's like an adult candy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very in keeping with his, like, out-of-touchness. <laughs> exactly. So he's just like, oh, I like I like Almond Joys, so I'm going to give these out. So it made me think about what would all the families be giving out as their main candy. Mm. Um, okay. In, well, so in Christie's neighborhood, someone was giving out Mars bars, which is also a weird choice, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I thought we would go down the list of families and see, you know, think of what candy they'd be giving out based on what we know about them. Wait, I need some historical context. When, when did people start freaking out about like razor blades and candy and like poison? Right now. Right now, in the in the late eighties, okay, mid to late eighties, yeah. So they were freaking out in this Halloween for sure, Mm -hmm. yeah. And people brought their bags of candy to like a special scanning place at the police department to like make sure there was nothing in it before they gave it to their children. Wow. Okay. 
So keep that in mind. We like to have lots of panics in the 80s. Satan was coming for your children. Someone was going to abduct them. And if those two things didn't happen, you were going to have a razor blade in your Mars bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So let's start with the Thomases. Okay. Well, Watson has money. So they could be one of those houses that gives out like a full-size candy bar. Mm-hmm. Um, Evans. <laughs> yeah, Watson gave kids a toaster oven full of candy. <laughs> I'm thinking something really good, like the uh, like a like a Milky Way. Mm-hmm. What about like Reese's peanut butter cups? Mm-hmm. Also popular. I feel like those are a Pike family candy. Oh, see, I was thinking that the Pikes would have to get the like mixed fun bag that just has like Dum Dums and Smarties in it because mm. they 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 have so many kids and they wouldn't want them to take all of the candy and they would just be like more basic, mm-hmm. like Smarties, Dum Dums, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and those like little tiny packs of of like three sweet tarts, you know, in the paper, mm-hmm. like and like three spree. So you're thinking why are there two candies? Yeah. That are Smarties and Dum Dums that go in the same bag. <laughs> I never noticed that before. <laughs> They're friends. They're friends. It's inclusion in, in a bag of candy. Incredible. Okay, so what about what about the Kishis? Well, I'm looking to you. Tell us. I mean, packets of soy sauce. <laughs> Listeners, no, no, Claudia that. doesn't know what soy this sauce is. is. Okay, yeah, this Remember? is a callback to our last episode about the soy sauce. <laughs> um. Well, I feel like if it was up to Claudia, she'd be giving away Hostess products. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Individually right. wrapped cupcakes yeah. and those would get They would get smashed in your bag, though. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, survive yeah. Halloween. And she does love candy, too. She doesn't only like Hostess. So you're saying the weight of Sprees and Smarties would crush? Not those, but the, the Mars bars and the Almond Joys from Richard. And, and the toaster ovens. Yeah, yeah but I feel like how <laughs> that does I feel like with how increasingly stupid all the girls are portraying Claudia as, we could make a case for why she put Twinkies in there. She's not thinking about the toaster ovens that are inevitably going to squash them. <laughs> what is what she always has? I guess you don't really get licorice on Halloween. Sometimes you get yeah. like one of those. I little, mean, she, she does yeah. mention Tootsie Rolls in this book. Oh, right, mm. she has those big Tootsie Rolls. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing on Halloween. I was like, you yeah, know, you get on so. Halloween that you never get the rest of the time. Tootsie Roll wise, you get those uh, fruit flavored Tootsie Rolls. Mm-hmm. I don't like Tootsie Rolls. Right. But have you tried the fruit ones? They're no. so weird and delicious. I always steal those from my kids. Get ready for, to get something in the mail, Emily. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about the root beer barrels. They're here. Oh, shoot. Oh, it's a Halloween episode. Why don't we have you taste a root beer barrel now? That's a good, well, this is a good day for you to do it. Okay. Everyone, Emily's back with the root beer barrels that Esme sent her. Yeah. I sent her a big bag. You guys can hear that? That is proof. Yeah, she's opening she it for the first time. She's now opening it. Wait, I can't do it. She's having some troubles. I'm really scared. <laughs> you know, What do you notice in your body? In- Coach your food. Yeah, what, like, is your heart beating? Is your... Oh, it smells like root beer. <laughs> Obviously. Is there a razor blade in there? You better check. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. Okay, so before you put it, in how your do mouth, I eat this? Yeah, what are you? What do you? What do you think it's going to be like? Tell us. Tell us your first impressions. Too sweet and okay. gross. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Does is it shaped like a barrel? It is shaped like a barrel, and doesn't that make it more fun? Well, this is like a bigger candy than I want to eat. 
Okay. We can spit it out after. Um, I know, I think- but I'm just saying, like, I w- it could have been a smaller barrel. Okay. Um, I think we should take a screenshot of Emily holding it before we do. Can somebody take a screenshot? Yeah, I'll do it. So that we can use it later. Okay. Hang on. Right before she tastes it. Do I put it in? <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. All right. Go for it. Do I just like eat eat it? Yeah. But then you have to be like on Food Network. You have to tell us about your experience as you're eating it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh, this is gross. It tastes like root beer though. But you like root beer. It also kind of tastes like a cough drop. Like a root beer cough drop? Well, remember, it started as medicine. Mm-hmm. It tastes mm-hmm. like sugar and medicine, I would say. Do you like the, is the barrel shape pleasing in your mouth? It's too big. <laughs> I'm okay. not going to finish this candy. It's just as well, because you're upsetting all of our listeners with misophonia and like mouth noise <laughs> aversions. So you can just go ahead and put, please it's don't. It's over. Yeah, it's over, everyone. Please don't send us emails. We, it was just, it was a bit. We wanted to see what Emily thought. So do you think... She's putting it back in the wrapper, by the way. I don't know if she's going to give it to her She's saving it for later. (laughs) Where else am I going to put it? On my desk? (laughs) So this is one of Stacey's fantasy candies. Do you see what I mean, Emily? It's a fringe candy, right? Yeah. Not acceptable. I don't understand Stacey's candy choices. Well, speaking of, what do you you think that... What are the McGill's giving out over in New York City? Oh, on the Upper West Side? Well, I, that depends. Does Stacy get to make the decisions or do them for parents? <laughs> if it's Stacy, it's just like white giant bars of white chocolate and root beer <laughs> <Yeah>. barrels. <laughs> what a horrible haul that would be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Okay, who else did you want us to decide? Um, the Schaefer's. Oh, Raisins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No candy. Raisins. Sun-made raisins. The worst. Yeah. I don't but know. There's got to be like one kind of sort of candy adjacent thing that Don would find acceptable, right? Like like a lemon drop or something. Mm. Yeah, like lemon heads. Wasn't a lemon drop an actual candy? I feel like that was a candy my mom used to like. Yeah, it is. But it's like more like the kind you would get in a candy. Like, I don't know that you would buy them to give out on Halloween, right? Mm. They come in like barrels, yeah. actual barrels, not... right. <laughs> Exactly. Would it be like natural gummy things? Oh yeah, like, like now, mm-hmm. look, everyone is the Schaefer's in Berkeley in 2020. So you get like the like special brand, the fake M&Ms that are made with all natural food coloring or like the natural juice gummies. Annie's yeah. bunnies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, fruit snacks. Not- oh, I'm here for that. I love a- I love a fruit snack, I will say. Yeah, that's that's a sweet treat I enjoy. Yeah. Oh, you know what Anne's family used to get that is in that same zone? I, do you like sun-kissed fruit gems, Emily? I don't know what those are. What? Oh, man. Oh, I'm going to have to send you some of those, too. Oh Anne's family used to get, like, a big bucket of them at Costco. I think you'll like them because you like gummies and you like um, fruit snacks. They're mm-hmm. made with real – they're all citrus-flavored, except there's also a raspberry flavor. And mm-hmm. they're, like, round. And they have powdered sugar on the outside, so you'd think they'd be too sweet. But the actual gummy is, like, very tart and yummy. They're really good. Yeah. Is, I, I'm amenable. Yeah, I think you'd like a sun-kissed fruit gem. Okay, then we got... Okay, yeah, so it just made me think about... Really, the Almond Joy is just a poor choice yeah. for kids. No, that's the one you trade. However, I'd be really into getting that toaster. Who's giving out <laughs> Snickers? Ooh. Yeah. You know, I know I said the Pikes would get the big discount bag, but they could also be a Snickers family. Or like the mixed bags that have like baby Snickers and, well, they're, don't they have Almond Joys in those bags? 
Usually, because almond joys are expensive, I think they come in their own bag with like almond mm-hmm. joys and mounds, right, Anne? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and if you those. go, if you get like the the mixed candy bag, it's usually the best one is like Milky Way, Twix, Snickers, mm-hmm. um, and three, three Musketeers. Yeah, that's kind but of. There's like, also the one that has like plain Hershey's chocolate, Mister Good Bar, Butterfinger, and something else I don't like that much. Yeah, Mr. Goodbar. Do you remember? Okay, there used to be these these (laughs) CoverGirl lipsticks. (laughs) I know what you're gonna say. There used to be these CoverGirl lipsticks, and all of their color names were called like Hint of Something. And Michelle Robinson took a fun size Mr. Goodbar and smeared it all over her lips and called it Hint of Mr. Goodbar. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah. I don't like I don't like Mr. Goodbar. He's no. Mr. Badbar. You know what I do like that I also generally only see at Halloween? 100 grand. That comes in one of those packs. Oh yeah, like those are grand. good. They're like crispy yeah. and caramelly. Yeah. Oh, Nestle Crunch. That's the other thing that comes in that other one I was just talking mm-hmm. about. I do like Nestle Crunch, yeah. You know 100 grand, Emily? Mm-mm. You're going to be getting a lot of candy in the mail. I, know, I don't right? want it. <laughs> I don't care if you're an individual and you like health food. We're making you eat this candy. <laughs> We've been talking about candy for like 14 minutes. I would just like to flag that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up was really how Grace and Koki were dressed as punk rockers at the Halloween dance, which I thought was, which meant they weren't punk rockers. (laughs) Um, I feel like that was a common costume. Like, I remember, like, people we went to elementary school with dressing as, like, I remember, like, Lorena Plumreyes and Lindsay Del Rio mm-hmm. were punk rockers. Yeah, I was trying to think of, like, what would be, what are they wearing? Lots of different ways you can go with a punk rock costume. Yeah, I think it was more, like, Cindy Lauper punk rock than, like, Sex mm-hmm. Pistols punk rock, right? I feel like mm-hmm. it's it was, like, pop punk rock. Like, lots of neon, maybe there's some safety pins, but not, like actual punk rock punk rock Mm -hmm. like spider from new kids on the block (laughs) let's talk about how logan and marianne dressed up as the cats from cats i yeah it's shocking to me that she would do that especially like given her whole shame spiral around like not wanting people to pay attention to her i was like you when even what the I mean, I feel like we have to give Logan some. Yeah, credit here. see, that's the thing. Don't like I'm. I you know, he did dress up as a tomcat though, just to make it clear. Yeah, and he made his mommy make him a suit because he didn't want to wear a leotard. <laughs> it did say that he helped with it. It said mm-hmm. Logan and his mom made him a suit. Okay, this might be another opportunity for a drawing. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Emily's out after this. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay, Anne, I feel like you specifically should draw this. Like this is this is a this is an Anne uh Okay, I can do it. it. The one last thing I want to talk about is how when the babysitters club goes to the cemetery to play the trick on Grace and Koki is Christy has a haunted house sound effects tape. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so weird. How long do we think this tape is, and how many sounds could there be for a haunted house? Wait, do you guys not know about these tapes? No. Maybe no. this is from my background in radio. Lots of people had these. It's like a full-length tape, and it, it like there's lots of different sounds, but you can't think of lots of Okay, as we do it. Okay. Can you do five spooky sounds? Sure. Okay. So one would just be like a ghost, like a, ooh. 
you know and then there would be like a like a like a like mysterious clanging like a well, that sounds too much like a water bottle because that's what it is. But like a like clang, 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 like a, and, and then there's like chains rattling, which I also, you know, I don't have all my Foley uh, things here. And then occasionally you get like um like the wind, like and then you could get like a bubbling laboratory, like a is a bubbling laboratory spooky. Yeah. Like Monster Mash, like a mad scientist, you know, Frankenstein. You can get all kinds of, and then there's like stomping, like. Okay, well, I think I could go on for an hour doing these sounds. I take it back. I guess there are a lot of spooky sounds to be on a cassette tape. Yeah. Incredible. Totally. Oh, man. Everyone, Esme is for hire if anyone needs any spooky sounds. And transitional mouth noises. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh, that was, that was funnier than it deserved to be, Emily. You're welcome. As I mentioned before, there was a lot of candy, but the only candy that was mentioned in Claudia's room were Tootsie Rolls. Interesting. All right. Tallies. Uh, again, Marianne, judgmental, but judgmental of herself. Um, so three times she calls herself sensitive. One time she calls herself shy. Dawn is an individual once. She likes health food once. Um, only once only once i feel like she said individual five times nope just once okay um claudia is still exotic one time and mallory is level-headed one time still no jesse tropes that i could connect other than black but i don't feel like that's a trope i think that's just a reasonable descriptor in super white stony brook what about joke teller yeah i mean she does say joke teller specifically, but I didn't know if that like rose to the level of something that's going to come up again and again. Yeah. I can start tracking it if you want me to. No, I'm just curious what's going to, okay. cause that was like the distinguishing difference that Marianne uses between Jesse and Mallory, right? She's like, they both like horses, but Mallory's a writer. Je- Jesse tells jokes. <laughs> like, well, and, and as the ballet dancer, she also, right. Talks right. That's that. true. Yeah. Um, all right. What's everyone's favorite weird line? I had a couple. Um, they don't have one of them has almost nothing to do with the whole plot, but I just thought it was a funny sentence, which is when they're babysitting for the Pikes and a ton of stuff goes wrong after Marianne gets the chain letter, and it is just Daddy Stew is ruined because the Pikes eat some disgusting concoction Ew. called Daddy <laughs> Stew, and I thought the whole I knew that that sentence would gross Emily out, so I chose it. You're so, oh now who's being mean to who? Also, the daddy stew was just like, like stuff with like cut up like weenies in it or something. Yeah. To be fair, yeah. People, um, Anne calls hot dogs weenies. Um, <laughs> to, um, that's 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 Anne's cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. To be fair, we don't know what else was in it, so maybe the rest of it was good. That's the only ingredient we know. Um, at any rate, uh, but Claudia was definitely judging it. Um, I also liked toward the beginning, they, they get the chain letter and they're spooked by it. And Mallory says, yikes. And Christie's response is, ho-hum. Ho-hum. Oh, That's good. Yeah. I really like when uh, they're trying to figure out, like, who sent the necklace. And Christie says, maybe it's someone evil and unknown. And then she goes, an evil power master? And Jesse goes, evil power master. Yeah. <laughs> What is an evil power master? <laughs> Incredible. Um, Incredible. My other favorite one is 
Claudia, uh, at some point at the end of the emergency meeting, Claudia mutters lucky stiff, which I thought was really funny. And like another one of those weird, like folksy things yeah. that I feel like we normally get from Stacy, but here it's a, a Claudia one. Lucky yeah. stiff. Um, mine is when uh, Marianne is ha- having her like little inner monologue about before she goes to the cemetery and she says, and that in a few hours, I wouldn't be hanging around a graveyard like a fool with five other fools. <laughs> so so five, other, five other fools is my favorite. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so for me, it's down between evil power master and um, five other fools. I think they're both good. We have had an episode title with the word yeah. fools in it before. Yeah, we have club of fools already. It's true. <laughs> So we'll go with I'm evil, power master. evil power master. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. So what should we pizza toast to? We could pizza toast to five other fools. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> I'm I'm excited about the introduction of Koki Mason, even though I, we didn't really even get into this like mean girl stuff and how uh, like Koki and Grace don't pass the Bechtel test. Like mm-hmm. all of the Babysitter's Club does, but they don't, which is interesting that they're set up as villains because all they care about is like Logan's affections. So I thought that was interesting. But we also didn't talk about the fact that there are actual cutout letters in the in the <laughs> book for the, this is like a big thing in the 80s of like ransom notes with cutout letters for magazines. And I, I turned the page and I was like, ooh, like I remember being excited by stuff like that when I was a kid. So let me hear this right. You want a pizza toast to ransom notes? Great. Let's do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> the other thing that I texted you guys right when we started reading this book that I am still sort of um, baffled and incensed by is right on page two, we get some, what I think is serious New England shade thrown at dawn. Um, it is its own paragraph, this singular sentence. Um, Emily being our Don, would, would you read it? Don is from California, which explains a lot. What? What does, does that mean? Does it? What exactly does it explain? <laughs> I don't know. I don't did did Anna and Martin get hurt by a Californian? Like I don't I don't understand. Yeah, why I mean, what's what's the negativity here? Yeah. Should be pizza toast to brown rice casserole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Do they eat that in this one? Dawn does, yeah. It's yeah. one of the, her lunches. She's eating like cottage cheese again and some and some brown rice casserole <laughs> yeah that's that's good and did you have any pizza toast ideas no I'm, I'm into the brown rice casserole excellent okay pizza toast to brown rice casserole <laughs> to brown, brown rice, rice casserole. casserole this episode of stuck in stony brook is now adjourned thank you to anna martin for everything Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. Thank you.